Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world and is our light of life. The light shines on us today in Galatians chapter 3. Right here, Paul has some very strong words for the Galatians, and it is right after he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the motivation for Paul as we look at these following verses. Stay tuned for these great and powerful parts of Holy Scripture. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten in part by Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Um, for, for more information, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word in Christ, we have with us today our guest, Pastor Brian Stecker of Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. Pastor Stecker, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thank you, Brady. It's an honor to be here, and I've really enjoyed uh, listening to uh, some of the, the shows you've had here over the last month or so. You've done a great great job with the show, and yeah, I appreciate being here. Oh, wonderful. Uh, you, you and my parents are the ones who are listening. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in good company then. That's right. That's right. Well, Pastor Stecker, I believe um, this is your first time on Thy Strong Word, right? First time? Yes. Yep, that's correct. And and we are continually having new listeners that join us. Uh, we've been finding this when we've had people sending emails of where they're listening, and and they're they're from around the country and around the world. And so what I like to do is, as we know that God is at work through His Word around the world, is there any way you can share a few things about yourself and the work of the saints at Grace Lutheran? Just a few moments. Yeah, yeah. So um, similar to you, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in in Fort Wayne. So. Um, you know, you can throw a stone and hit a Lutheran church in Fort Wayne, grew up in a Lutheran school. Um, but uh, after seminary, I uh, came out here. So I'm in New Hampshire. Um, New England's a little bit different, but it's um, it's been an amazing experience out here. We're uh, Grace Lutheran. We're in, in southern New Hampshire, very close to Massachusetts. Um, but we've, we're kind of a regional church. There's not as many Lutheran churches out here. And because of that, we have kind of a wide range of people that will travel, you know, 30, 40 minutes to come to church. But it's, uh, it's been a real blessing. The church is blessed. Uh, we have just fantastic saints out here um, that are real passionate about God's word and about the mission here in New England. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, we're very blessed out here. And, uh, yeah. So any other kind of, I, I know you had talked about a few other things that you do, I guess, as a, one guy said it, a side hustle. Maybe it's not a side hustle, but a few <laughs> other things that you, that you participate in. You want to talk about that? Yeah, one uh, one in particular is um, uh, a couple a couple friends, other Lutheran pastors. We've worked together to start something called Thoughtful Church, and um, it, it, for the most part, it's a, a, a blogging, a website uh, where we kind of publish articles based on Christianity and culture, kind of approaching cultural issues from a conservative Christian perspective. Um, and we've got some other kind of key issues we're working on uh, formulating articles for, but that's just been kind of fun to you know kind of approach. Different things that we talk about in the church, but do so in, in a you know a written form, a little bit different than kind of preaching and teaching. So that's been fun, and um, um, yeah, you know, out, outside of that, I enjoy. I do triathlons. Um, I enjoy hiking out here in the, in the Northeast. So, oh, um, wow. yeah, a lot, a lot of great things wow. to experience. Now I've been through Nashua, and basically, you can just go outside your church, 
and you can look everywhere and there's a mountain, right? I mean, it's just rolling hills, rolling. Well, for Minnesotans, we call them hills, but they're probably mountains because we don't know what those are around here. But I mean, you have <laughs> mountains everywhere, right? I mean, they're everywhere around you. It's yeah. Coming from wrong? the Midwest, it's, it's amazing coming out here because yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of snow and there's a lot of mountains. So if you like those two things, this is, this is heaven for you. If uh, you don't like that those things, it. then yeah, head south. <laughs> That the head south, yeah, right, exactly. And I just want to give one other highlight that for all of you who are um, part of the Missouri Synod, that Grace Lutheran Church was highlighted in the Interest Times of Lutheran Church Extension Fund (LCEF) because you had a new building project. You had uh, um, uh, just a, a new narthex, I believe, that was added. Is that correct? Yeah. So when I showed up here, they had um, they had kind of already laid the groundwork for it. They had a broken ground, but they they'd put a lot of work into it. Um, and yeah, so probably about six months after I showed up, they started uh, breaking ground and I had a construction site right outside my office window, um, which is actually, it was really cool to see the process, but, um, we finished up a, a beautiful narthex, um, and we finished up just in time for COVID. So it's, uh, it, it's a real blessing, but we're, we're still waiting to, uh, to be able to use it in, to its fullness. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, the, the congregation really stepped up, put a lot of work, uh, spent a lot of time, you know, raising money and such. So. Um, once again, another blessing from God. That is. And, and thank you for sharing all that. And to you, our listeners, one of the great things about On Thy Strong Word and also part of KFUO is that we talk to pastors and churches from around the around the country. And for us, most of us don't even know where New Hampshire is. Um, I know my sister lives in Vermont, so I know that it's uh, it's complete opposite of Vermont in probably many ways because the, the state is kind of like a puzzle piece. And it's in an area where there's not, like you said, not a lot of Lutherans, probably not a lot of Christians. But we do hear, as he's saying, that the word is at work around the country and around the world. So thank you for sharing that and reminding us that we depend on God's word. But today, as we get into God's word, um, Galatians chapter three, Pastor Secker, would you please begin, ask the Lord's blessings to begin us in prayer? Yes, let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great blessings. We thank you uh, uh, for your word to help guide us to be a lamp to our feet. We thank you for the gift of your son who by his uh, death on the cross has redeemed us, given us eternal life and uh, life in the spirit, as we'll see here in Galatians 3. Please be with us, open our, our hearts, open our ears to learn your word and help it to guide our life as we uh, live to the glory of your name. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. When we come to chapter 3, there's powerful words at the end of chapter two. I have been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life and I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Right there, he starts with such powerful words. And there's a little bit of a change of tone as he gets to chapter three. Um, that's some context and background. What else do you want to give to us this morning, Pastor, about setting the stage for Galatians chapter 3? Yeah, I know um, I know some of the previous uh, pastors you've had on have talked a little bit about, you know, just the amazing background of Paul and Galatians, but there's some some things that have always stood out with me and my study of Paul that I think really lend itself to understanding uh, what's going on here in Galatians 3. Um, and one of the things that, that has amazed me as I've looked at Paul's life is, you know, Paul, Paul has his, um, well, he grows up, you know, he's a very educated um, kind of Jewish scholar understanding the Old Testament, uh, seemingly. And then he has his uh, amazing experience on the road to Damascus, where he sees, you know, the risen Christ, and it, it changes everything in his life. Um, so at that point, you know, he, he goes and he, he goes out likely to Mount Horeb um, to kind of mm -hmm. go back to the roots of, of his history, of Israel's history. And uh, then he returns home to Tarsus. 
And I think growing up, I, you know, I always figured like, okay, he had his conversion. He goes home, you know, maybe grabs his, his backpack and then heads off to talk about Jesus. Um, but it really seems like he was probably home for somewhere between five and 10 years, I would think. And the question is, what's he doing during that time? And, you know, I think that Paul is spending that time and he's looking at the Old Testament scriptures that he's known all of his life. And he's spending years and years just looking at them through this entirely new lens, through a Christological lens, we could say, uh, seeing, you know, every verse through the lens of the crucified and risen Messiah um, that he's now put his faith in. And I think it just transforms how we understand scripture, how he understands God's word and his uh, his vision and mission for Israel and for the entire world. Um, so that that formed uh, message that he has is then what he carries forward when he goes on his missionary journeys. And, you know, I've always heard one phrase um, that's that's really helped me with this. And it's it's in the Old Testament. The New Testament is concealed. But in the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. And I think that's what Paul experienced there during his time in Tarsus was all of a sudden understanding the message of the New Testament, even though he didn't have, of course, the scriptures in front of him. Um, he understood who Christ was, what he had accomplished. And because of that, the Old Testament was revealed to him in an entirely new way, in the, in the true way, you could say. Um, so then he takes off and he sees himself as carrying forward kind of this new world or this new kingdom that's now been opened up. Uh, because of the Messiah who had been prophesied about throughout the Old Testament. So, you know, as he sees himself going out and he goes into, um, you know, Southern Galatia, um, and he has a lot of success there. And, um, you know, this new kingdom that, that, that he's so passionate about preaching, in his mind, it is defined by all of those who are loyal to and put their faith in the same God he's always worshipped, right? Israel's God. Um, but that the way they worship Israel's God is by putting their faith in the Messiah, who was Jesus, um, in what he's done, you know, in, in his teaching, in his death, and in his resurrection. So this new kingdom, this, this new world that's been opened up, is uh, it's defined by faith. And that's what we'll see here in Galatians 3. It's defined by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing that he was risen from the dead. Um, so now you've got this, uh, you know, th this loyalty or this, this faith of these early Christians there in Galatia, that they're placing it in Jesus, and it defines this great movement of um, of the church there, of this new kingdom. And then, of course, that kind of brings us to the issue that that Paul's then writing to, because um, after he has, you know, the, the spirit takes off and the church, you know, is cemented, um, in comes these other, these people with a different message. You know, sometimes they're called the Judaizers. And their message is that they're bringing, and they're saying to this young church, you know, you have to go back and follow the ceremonial laws if you want to be part of this kingdom, right? That's mm -hmm. what's going to define you, going about following these laws. And Paul says, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point that a new kingdom has been launched through Jesus as Messiah. These Old Testament scriptures, the ceremonial law, it's been fulfilled. And if you try to bring that back, you're missing, you know, this beautiful transformative gift that's been given. Um, but also you're going to cause divisions within this new kingdom, which was what was, was happening there in Galatia. And that you know, that leads Paul to um, to his passionate letter here in Galatians and specifically to Galatians 3, where, you know, he's going to emphatically address that issue between the message that he brought, you know, defined by his understanding of the Old Testament scriptures through Jesus and the new message brought by these Judaizers, which is missing the proper understanding of these old scriptures. And you write here in your notes, basically, Paul is telling them, do not go back to mm -hmm. the old age. I mean, don't go back. Let's not let's not do steps back here. This 
this might be good for parts in our lives to <laughs> reflect and go backwards a little bit. Okay, I need to repent. I need to move on. I need to reevaluate my things. But when it comes to faith and salvation, don't go back because going back is not going to, as you as you said so well, um, it, you're going to go back to concealment as opposed to what is fully revealed in the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. And that's that's a great way to put it. Here's Paul going, he's not going back, but he obviously had time to um, evaluate this. How does Jesus fit in? What great context all that is. Thank you, Pastor, mm. for that. Any last thoughts before we start? No, I really like the way you, you phrase that there. Uh, don't go back to the concealment, right? It's been revealed. <laughs> don't go back to the concealment, uh, which, yeah, which gets back to that, oh, fir- wow. that first one, right? You foolish Galatians, why would you do that? Absolutely. So let's dig in. Verse one, we'll just start with verse one. Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So the, the question here is, let's say that on Sunday morning, um, Pastor, you stand in the pulpit and, and you tell the blessed saints at, uh, at Grace and Nashua, O foolish, uh, <laughs> foolish Grace family, you would have to have something pretty serious to say. What it, do you think? Is that not how we're supposed to start our sermons? <laughs> <laughs> well, on the East Coast, maybe that's how you do yeah, things, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would definitely be a shocker for them. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, I like one one of the commentators. He, he put it really nice. He, he almost sees it as a, you know, a strong word, but also, a, a, you know, a strong word to people he holds dear. Um, you know, you dear, someone put it, you dear idiots. You know, <laughs> what, what's going on? You know, he's he's kind of shaking his head at those people he holds so dear. And so he says very strong. So he says that very, very strongly. Like you said, if you read when you read this and all of his epistles, he loves all these congregations. But here he's being very upfront at the beginning of chapter one. He gives no thanksgiving to God for them. But mm-hmm. when you read throughout and Dr. Doss said this very well in our first session is he talks about. But throughout the letter, he is saying he's giving thanks for them. So it's not a matter if he doesn't give thanks at all, but he's definitely showing his loving and grace that God has given to them. And so he's he's being very upfront, but he says, before your very eyes. What what is he speaking about? Before your very eyes, what? I mean, how did this happen or what's going on? Hmm. Yeah, that's that that's interesting. Cause when you first look at that, you say, you know, was Jesus Jesus was, you know, publicly crucified. You know, many people could look up and they could have watched the crucifixion take place. But most likely no one who's here in this church in Galatia, there in southern Turkey, most likely none of them watched that take place. So what's Paul mean when he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think what he's getting that at is what what was everything that he taught, what was it focused on? Um, he almost assuredly would have would have taught, you know, the Old Testament scriptures to these, uh, most of them, um, uh, Gentiles. They, they weren't, most of them didn't have Jewish descent. So when he was teaching the Old Testament scriptures, he was doing so in such a way that he was always clearly portraying or graphically showing the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, So in the way that he lived his life, you know, in um, in probably every sermon he would have preached, every teaching he would have taught when he would have gone through Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy, um, he would have been using those Old Testament stories and truths in order to show and graphically portray Jesus as crucified. And that was the central part of his mission. Um, and obviously the ones who had bewitched them, who have come in and, and taught a different message, 
um, they weren't they they were they were missing that key component. And Paul's going to get to that a little bit later. We're going to be able to see how Paul reads scripture, and he's going to he's pointing out that these other people who have brought this message they are missing this clear component. But do you not remember that everything I taught you was based on the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, and in every word and action I laid that before you at your feet. Well, and this is why he says, you know, we preach Christ and Him crucified. Mm. Um, that there definitely was a very clear understanding of what, well, one, they probably knew what crucifixion was in those days. And we were very separated from that reality here today. Um, but it's something that he would have been able to tell that and connect that in beautiful ways. Uh, probably not so beautiful as far as to the eyes, but beautiful in the sense of the gospel hmm. to say, this is what it is. And this is what it is like. And it connects to everything that you learned to the Jewish people there. And also to everything I've taught you to those who didn't have any idea about the scriptures in those days. So it, it, that was something that really struck me is before your very eyes, like, wait a second. I mean, they probably weren't there. And but goes into the teaching. And you always pray that you're able to do that yourself when you teach the scriptures is to actually give them an image and an understanding of the fullness of the cross. Mm -hmm. Last thoughts on verse one. Uh, no, I think that's I think that's one of in my mind two key verses there, and you know I, I think as we kind of if we move forward through the next four or five verses, you know I think it kind of Paul Paul's going to build off of verse one here, and he's going to you know he's going to keep referencing back to it. All right, so we have um, we'll go through verses two through five. Paul says, "Let me ask you only this: Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith?" Are you so foolish? <laughs> Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here he's speaking. He, he goes from you know the understanding of Jesus and crucifixion and the foundation of faith and now he goes into words of faith and spirit. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in verse, um, he, he says that I think three times in verse two, he says, you know, did you receive the spirit, right? And then you did receive the spirit. It's, you know, he's saying, how did you receive that? By works or by, or by, uh, by works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And then, um, you know, again, having begun in by the spirit in verse three, and then in verse five, does he who supplies the spirit? So it seems to me like in this section, Paul is saying, you have received something extraordinarily beautiful. That's the what. And then you knowing that you've received that, how did it, you get there? And that's going to be the mm -hmm. two. Is it by faith or is it by works of the law? So the first thing I think, you know, it's great for us to define is what does he mean by that? What does he mean by receiving the spirit? Um, you know, because I think that's, you know, that's obviously one thing that's uh, sometimes difficult for us to articulate, I think, as pastors, at least for myself. And I do find that in conversations with with Christians and with with non Christians, whenever people think of kind of the spirit, I think they usually think of you know maybe like a warm feeling or a nudge mm -hmm. in the right direction or something that's very abstract. Um, but when Paul's speaking of the spirit, you know, which is capitalized here in the English, um, he's speaking of you know the third person of the Trinity. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a He. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit making up the Trinity. And, you know, I think a great Bible verse that, that shines some light on this is in 2 Peter, uh, the first chapter. And in verses 3 and 4, Peter says, he says this, he says, uh, His, meaning God's divine power, 
has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Um, so there Peter's telling us that as Christians, we are actually brought into that intimate relationship that exists within the Trinity. So before God said, let there be light, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in perfect relationship. Um, that's, you know, that's where love is. That's where beauty is. That's where relationship is. All that's good flows out of that Trinitarian relationship. Uh, Peter's saying that as Christians, when we receive the Spirit, we actually become partakers of that divine nature. We're actually brought into that intimate relationship. And Paul here, you know, referring to that, he, that's what he's speaking about. He's not saying, hey, you received, you know, a nice nudge in the right direction. You've received, you know, something so beautiful. You've received reception into an intimate relationship with God um, via the Holy Spirit. And um, just to kind of use an illustration, uh, one that kind of stood out to me was, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. It's probably my favorite book, the trilogy. Um, and in the beginning, there's a, in the previous book, it's called The Hobbit. Uh, there's a character, Bilbo, who goes off on a great journey and um, he defeats the, the dragon Smaug and he comes back and he, he comes back with treasure from, um, from his journey. And then the Lord of the Rings takes place and it's Bilbo's nephew, Frodo, who becomes kind of the main character who goes on his journey. And uh, at, at, right before Frodo leaves, seemingly at the beginning, there's this little, little section where Bilbo hands him um, this, this mithril jacket. And it looks kind of clumsy on Frodo. You know, it doesn't really fit him. It was meant for a warrior, but it's kind of this, this male jacket that can grant him protection. Um, and you don't really think much of it until you get to uh, later on in the story, there's a conversation between two other characters. And one of them who's, uh, uh, he, he's a dwarf. So basically he, he understands what this is. He starts talking about this beautiful, majestic uh, gem, which is called Mithril. And they talk about how Bilbo, and he goes, oh, Bilbo, you know, he actually received a mithril jacket of, um, or a, a jacket of mithril. And they say, oh my goodness, that's worth more than the entire, uh, the entire worth of the Shire, of the entire country. And Frodo's sitting there and no one else knows that he's wearing this mithril jacket. But at that moment he goes, whoa, you know, I've got something that's worth more than the entire country. And in that way, that's, you know, that's what the Holy Spirit is like. When we, when we say, hey, we received the Holy Spirit, you know, lots of times people will say, oh, well, that's, you know, cool. That's nice <laughs> and move on. Um, you know, we've got something as Christians that is worth more than the entire world. Um, you know, what is the world worth in comparison, Jesus will say. Um, and that's what we're speaking about here. It, it's, it's an invitation into, it's bringing us into uh, the very divine nature, the, the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. Wow. So th that's wonderful. Um, first of all, uh, my, my predecessor, uh, A.G. Espinosa, loved to reference Lord of the Rings. So I hope he listens to this episode. I might text him. And, and uh, right now I'm going to say, hey, start listening. Start listening to this. this is, you got to hear this part. But anyways, but that's a great way to put it, because we often will connect the Holy Spirit to feelings. And the great part of that, 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 the story as part of Lord of the Rings is that he put it on and he didn't like have this transformational feeling upon him, but it was preached to him the value of what he was wearing. And then his perspective changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is wonderful. I mean, this is wonderful reality of the, the power of preaching, the power of, of, of God's word and how this identity 
is not bound on my feelings, but is bound on the word of God. I, that's that's the, the stuff that I was hearing there. And we don't even realize what we're walking around with, which is that we are partakers in the divine nature of our Lord who loves us and gave himself for us. Other thoughts on, on this? I mean, that's a lot. I, <laughs> this is a lot of great stuff. Any other thoughts on these verses? Um, yeah, I mean, yes, that's the what, right? The Holy Spirit. And then the whole question is, you know, so how, you know, and you can tell Paul's speaking to a group of people who have obviously experienced and understood these great things, right? They've lived among Paul. They've, uh, you know, Paul says, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They've seen and understood this intimately. And you can almost see for Paul, it's probably very obvious. And maybe for those, those, those first hearers, it was very obvious, you know, were these wonderful things that were laid before your eyes um, that you were able to experience and understand as we, you know, studied God's word together in the spirit, um, were these things accomplished by, uh, by following the observance of the laws? Were they accomplished by circumcision? You know, and Paul's able to ask those questions over and over. What was it by? And in the end, Paul's message is, you, you dear idiots, you know, whom I love so much, uh, don't give this transformative gift away by, by going back to the old, as, as you, you know, put it so well. Don't go back to the concealed, you know, uh, relish here in the revealed. Um, it's been so beautifully laid before you. Um, and so then, you know, so his summary is, you've received this beautiful thing. How did you get there? Obviously, he's saying it was by faith. Obviously, it was not by the works of the law, which these, uh, which these new messengers have bewitched you into thinking. For that, I, I think this is a great way for us to take our break. We have to take this break. But the question of faith and spirit, what and how all this comes together as we are studying Galatians chapter 3 with Pastor Brian Stecker. Stay tuned and we will be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org and welcome back we are studying galatians chapter three with pastor brian stecker we've had everything you can imagine this morning we talked about mountains we talked about hiking we talked about lord of the rings and oh yes we have talked about uh the crucified jesus and faith and the spirit filling us and we are wearing basically the robes of righteousness partakers in the divine nature all of this within these moments and now we will be conclude our verses today as we look at chapter three of the foolish galatians Pastor Stecker, you were just talking about faith and spirit and what and how. Any other words that connect with the how? How do we receive the spirit? Works of the flesh or by something else? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's where the kind of the second half of this reading comes in. Paul has very emphatically said the how is going to be faith. It's not going to be works of the law. It's not going to be circumcision. Um, you know this, he says. You, you've experienced this. Uh, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified right before your eyes. Um, 
But the great part of this is he moves from that. And here in verses really six through nine, we get, and I think verse eight is maybe the key verse, but we get a beautiful look into how Paul understands scripture. And, and that's the key is that it's how Paul understands scripture, which leads to this deep and beautiful understanding that he was able to share with the church there in Galatia, um, and that he's able to share on all of his missionary journeys. And in doing so, by taking a look at this, it teaches us how are we supposed to look at scripture? And, um, and I think by doing that, we'll even see how does Jesus look at scripture? And in that way, by learning how to do that, um, and understanding how we do that, it will lead us to a proper understanding of seeing things in it, in that proper divine light. Um, just to kind of use a quick illustration, it's uh, it's like if I were to go into a uh, uh, go onto a murder scene and Sherlock Holmes was there and I was there, um, I would look around and I wouldn't have a clue what to look for. Um, Sherlock Holmes would be able to see all these little things that I would completely miss. And um, that's what Paul is like here. And that's what his time spent in Tarsus, looking at the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of Christ, has taught him to be able to do. He can, he can talk about these subjects and he sees things that, um, that we might miss, but we get to learn at his feet and learn to look at scripture in the same way. We can, uh, right along with him, we can become the Sherlock Holmes of scripture and it becomes a beautiful life journey. All right, let's keep these going. We already got Lord of the Rings, and now we got Sherlock Holmes. This is great, because when you do look at Scripture, it's important for us to, and I think this is a very good component for our, our, our nation, our world, everything, where the question is, how do I um, receive the Spirit? People will talk this way. It reminds me of going to a basketball game when I was a kid, and you'd yell at the, the people across the gym and say, with the Spirit. Yes, we do. We have the Spirit. How about you? And then, of course, you would win if you yelled louder. Um, and at the same time, we think about how do I, um, what completes me? What fulfills me? How does this work with my relationship with God? How do I have a clear conscience with God as, as, as we look at everything? And this these verses, I think, are vital. So I encourage our listeners, as you hear these verses, and we look at verse 8 as a key. It's not only a key for chapter 3. But it's really a key throughout all of Scripture for Paul, Jesus, and of course, for us. So let us read verses 6 through 9 and dig in. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So pastor, I want you to run with this. We have verse eight that you will say is the key to these verses. And I, I would say that these are key to verses of, uh, well, basically all of scripture, but they're Paul's thoughts and, and also other thoughts. So how do you want to use this in verse eight and tell us how it completes everything? Yeah, if I can lay um, just a little phrase here, we'll kind of we'll reference back to this little phrase. Um, but this kind of sums up, I think, what we're going to look at. And we are going to go a little bit of a, you know, we're going to go on a little journey through Scripture to see both how Paul and Jesus look at, um, understand the Scripture. But um, he, here's the phrase. It's, we only have the gospel through the Scripture and the Scripture through the gospel. Um, and the key there is if we read the Scriptures without understanding the gospel, um, that's what the Judaizers were doing. 
then we're going to run into problems. We're going to we're going to misunderstand things. We're going to be like me going into the room um, and not like Sherlock Holmes. Um, and then the second part, which actually we're going to look at first, is if we think of the gospel without looking at scripture. Okay, so if we come up with this idea of the gospel, but we don't base it within scripture, um, and I think that's a bigger temptation for us today, actually. Um, that will also mm -hmm. get us into trouble because it'll end up undermining the very mis message that we preach. And a great example of this is Paul wasn't converted and he didn't go preach day two. You know, he went back and looked at the scripture through the lens of the gospel. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, he was he was then prepared to go off on his missionary journeys. So, um, yeah, so verse eight, you know, I do think that that's, that's the key verse. I'll just go ahead and read it here uh, in yeah, the ESV. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's going to be, that's the gospel truth right there, of course. Um, it was preached, uh, I'm sorry, in the scripture, foreseeing that, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, what's interesting here is Paul's vocabulary that he uses. He says very clearly, scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. Uh, now, the question is, well, which scripture? was was Abraham looking at. Hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, we would know, um, you know, most likely Moses wrote Genesis, but certainly, you know, Abraham didn't have Genesis. He was experiencing Genesis. Um, so <laughs> scripture did not preach to Abraham. God actually came down in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, and he's the one that speaks that gospel to Abraham, that he will have a child, even in his old age, and that through his line, all the nations will be blessed. So Paul, of course, he knows scripture very well. Um, he's not misspeaking here. Paul clearly sees God speaking directly to somebody and scripture as being one in the same. Uh, there's, they're not two tiered. Um, and kind of the issue that I think that this addresses is, um, you know, sometimes it's a temptation, especially nowadays, maybe to say, you know, I'll take, I'll take the red letters in the Bible, you know, maybe what Jesus said. But when we get to Paul, you know, maybe not so much. Or when we get to, you know, parts of the Old Testament, maybe we can cut some of those aspects out. And we can say, well, maybe that was just man's interpretation and not actually God's word. Um, we as Lutherans, you know, we proudly confess what Paul confesses here. And that is when, when he sees God speaking or when he sees scripture being written, it's one in the same. Whenever he sees scripture, that's God's word. Whenever he sees God's word, it's going to be there in scripture. Um, and uh, Brady, I don't know if you have any comments on that, because after that, I'm going to refer to, uh, we're, we're going to take a look at Jesus and how Jesus has the same approach to scripture. And it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful appreciation for scripture that we'll see in Jesus' life. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to catch up a little bit because what you're saying is, is so important. And it, it comes down to simple things like this is I remember I worked at camp, actually I worked in upstate New York and the Adirondack Mountains. And when I worked at camp up there, one of the constant things the kids would say it's okay. All right. We have Jesus. We're saved. We believe in Jesus. I mean, they, they weren't dismissing it, but it was kind of like, okay, I got that. Now tell me about everybody before Jesus. I mean, how were those people saved? What's going on? And I remember those moments where your jaws to the ground and going, uh, I'm not sure. I'm in the middle of mountains in a tent. Who am I going to ask now You know, before you could text anybody or anything? And, and this is very clear of our understanding of the gospel being something, the promise that was there for Abraham, for everybody. And Paul is really bringing that back. And what you're saying about 
him going to Mount Horeb and going back home, studying the scriptures with new Christ goggles, as Luther would say, mm-hmm. um, that that we're seeing this and it's been completely revealed. Here it all is. And to be able to answer those kids, the promise has always been there in Jesus. People waiting for it and we have it and we're united by faith in that same promise. So that's why this verse is a new one that I should send to all camps throughout the nation to say, <laughs> your kids are going to ask this question. Galatians 3 verse 8 is your answer. So those are the things I'm, I'm, I'm loving how Paul's interpreting this, and which is very much so the same as Jesus. So you're going to look at a few passages for that right now? Is that what you're planning to move? Yeah, yeah. Depending on time here, I've got, got three we can move through. Um, that just Let's kind do of it. we got plenty of time. Plenty okay, of time. Great. So the, the first one is there in Matthew uh, chapter 19, um, and, and it's verses 4 or 5, and it's when Jesus is speaking. Well, I'll just go ahead and read it for you here. Um, Please do. Jesus says, haven't you read, uh, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Um, of course, Jesus is, is there speaking about divorce and about God's ordination of marriage right there in Genesis. But what's very interesting is if you go back to Genesis 2, um, it's Moses, it's the author of, of Genesis who writes down, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. When Jesus refers to that, he doesn't say, as the author said, or, you know, one of your forefathers had this interpretation of God. Uh, Jesus clearly says, the creator said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. So right there, we're seeing again, Jesus is teaching and um, resting even his defense of an argument um, on the authority of God's word, as Moses' words, being God's words. What was written there, he, Jesus, just like Paul, doesn't see a difference. He doesn't say, you know, well, you know, Moses thought, you know, in a different time and different culture, this, but I tell you this, he says, you know, God said this through Moses and therefore that rules true today as well. That's, that's fascinating too, to go back to verse eight, where he says, um, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, just as understand of God preaching and, and, and how often we will look back and act as if, well, Moses wrote this and we get so wound up on kind of the details of, you know, he might've wrote this or not wrote that, or, I mean, this is kind of modern academic um, um, talk back and, and teaching and so forth, where we forget that Jesus says this was God who did this. And this is God's word. Um, and he is a, the one who brings the authority, not Moses's own personal opinion, but God's word. And he's seen that. And we also see that through Paul as well. So hmm. that's a great, great way to start. What else you got? Yeah, John 10. John 10. Uh, I love John. You get all these dialogues between Jesus and, um, you know, the Pharisees and Jesus trying to define who he is and the Pharisees, you know, struggling to understand that. And um, in John 10, they're going back and forth and the the Pharisees are really kind of getting on Jesus about his claim to be the son of God. And I find this just absolutely fascinating when it was pointed out to me. Um, And it's, it's John chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus, he says this, he answers them, is it not written in your law? speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, that I saying, I have said, you are gods. 
then he goes on, if he called them gods to whom the world, the word of God came in scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world, speaking of himself? Now, there's so much, of course, we could unpack there, you know, another mm. claim of Jesus of, of being, you know, his, his divine nature. But what I find really fascinating here is he's referencing Psalm 82. It's verse six. Um, so here's Jesus and he's, he's arguing with the Pharisees and his haymaker, I guess you could say that he gives them, um, <laughs> is uh, he goes to Psalm 82, which, uh, you know, the Psalms are, you know, this beautiful place of poetry in the Bible. And uh, furthermore, a lot of the Psalms are written by King David, who, you know, has a lot of clout within Israel and such. Um, but Psalm 82 is not written by David. It's written, actually, I can't even remember who it is that wrote Psalm 82, but it was a, uh, not a very big figure in the history of Israel. So here's Jesus, you know, being challenged, uh, you know, how can you say that you're the son of God? And Jesus references Psalm 82, verse six, um, kind of an obscure verse by an obscure author of a poetic portion of the Old Testament. And he says, uh, basically, this is all I need to prove to you that I'm God. Um, point being, Jesus certainly doesn't say, well, there's a couple parts in the Old Testament that are really firm, but, you know, there's a lot of poetry and there's other sections that we don't have to take quite so seriously. You know, we don't want to take that literal, literally. Jesus is actually basing his, his claims of divinity in this, at this point in time um, on a poetic verse there in the Psalms by an obscure um, author. And the point is, Jesus doesn't, you know, Jesus holds even these small sections to such a high, uh, I don't know, such a high authority, you know. He's got such a respect for all aspects of scripture. And I look back here, it's Asaph. Asaph, okay. Psalm 82. Yeah, Asaph wrote this. So yeah, definitely obscure. I mean, you think he would have done something like, would like use something with David and said, well, see, I'm kind of, I'm part of that lineage from David. And, yeah. and, and go down that whole line and proving himself, but he takes an obscure one. And says, "This is all we need. This mm -hmm. is this is my deity. Here it here it is. This is fascinating. I've never used that for anything. I would say in my teaching. So this this is great. You have more to share on that, or you have another one to share with us? Well, I'm, I'm almost thinking about it. He certainly could have gone to so many other places in the Old Testament. It's almost mm -hmm. like you know when you've got uh, well, it's almost like Elijah when he's going against the prophets of Baal and Asherah, right? And he basically right. you know he lets them go, and then he's like, well, hey, how about we dump some water on mine?" You know, he's like, you know, I don't, we don't even need to play fairly. Jesus is like, you know, I could go to Moses, you know, I could go to Isaiah and he does in other places, but you know, I, I can go to Psalm 82 and I can win this argument. So, and, yeah. and I, I, I relate with Paul in the sense of you guys are talking about what I need to do. Let me talk to you about faith. Let me talk to you about faith. Let me yeah. talk about simple things. Abraham. All right. Man of faith. End of story. Drop mic. Let's move on. Yeah, and that's and that's really what he's doing. The same kind of argumentation, Sim simple. Let's point to the truth and let's move on. So you got another one for us? Yeah, yeah. Are we still good on time? Oh yeah, we're good on time. We're we good. got okay. about uh, fourteen minutes. We're okay, good. great, great. So yeah, so another another one of my favorite parables actually. Um, it, you know, Luke sixteen. It's when um, Jesus is speaking about. Uh, uh, Lazarus and the rich man. And, mm -hmm. you know, it talks about the Lazar Lazarus who is very, very rich and, the, you know, Lazarus, the very poor man. But then at the end, Lazarus is up in heaven and the poor man is, is down in hell. And, uh, he has this conversation with father Abraham, um, the, the, the poor man who's in hell or in hell, sorry. And uh, he says, 
no father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then maybe they'll repent. Um, in other words, he's saying the scriptures aren't going to be good enough for my brothers, um, who I, I'm hoping that they don't end up where I'm at. So if you could just send someone from the dead, and he actually wants <laughs> he wants him to send Lazarus there, so you can see he's actually still ordering Lazarus around, even when Lazarus is up in heaven. Um, <laughs> but he says, if you could just send them, and then he goes on, he says, um, or Abraham responds and says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Um, and Jesus, Jesus' point here is if you can't believe in the scriptures, you know, what else can I give you? You know, the truth is there. It's there in the scriptures. It was there in Moses. It was there in the prophets. Um, it may have been concealed, but now it is revealed through me. And uh, what else can I give you? You know, even if I were to blow off the top of the mountain and come out, you know, on a, on a chariot of fire, you know, I've already given them the scriptures. I've already given them the truth. And it's all right there for you. Um, and the key is we have the gospel, you know, to kind of pull back here, this first section, we can only have the gospel message um, if, we, if it's through scripture and if we have a respect for scripture. You know, and just another example, how much Jesus leans on the scriptures is he has, uh, I've heard it put this way, he's got uh, 1,800 words that are recorded in the, in, the New, in the Bible, in the New Testament that are Jesus' words. And uh, about 180 of them are qu quotes of the Old Testament scriptures. So 10% of what we hear Jesus saying mm -hmm. is the scriptures. Um, when he when he gets, you know, when he's in the temptation in the wilderness, he leans on the scriptures. Um, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's on the way to the cross, um, when the ladies who are weeping when he's on the way to the cross, he quotes Isaiah. Um, when he's on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22. I think he recited all of Psalm 22 from the cross. Um, yeah. the, the thing that Jesus, we're going to confess Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Messiah. We have to always remember the thing that Jesus held most dear in his life, especially when things got difficult, were the scriptures. And the warning there, I think for us, especially, you know, you could say 21st century, um, you know, maybe American Christians, is Jesus held scripture to that high of a respect and degree. And we need to be very careful that we don't become the kind of Christians that pick and choose which parts of scripture we like. Because if we do so, we're tearing away the very foundation of the gospel that we say we put our faith and trust in. And also, you know, who are we to stand on a mountaintop and look down at Jesus and say, well, you were right when you when you thought this scripture was important, but you might have been wrong when you thought this scripture was important. Jesus yeah. obviously thought everything from Psalm 82 to Genesis 3 and 2 and 12 and across the board was, was essential to who he was. And if we confess him as Lord, we also have to confess that we trust in the, we can call it the inerrancy of scripture. We trust in the validity that we can trust in all the words of scripture and let it rule and dictate our lives. And this, you know, it brings me back to John 5, which we use often, you know, you search 539, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and that they, but, and it is they that bear witness about me. This brings me back to my first parish I served in Wisconsin that we were in Bible study and one guy, um, just a blessed saint now with our Lord, he, he, he said, well, you know, pastor, every page of scripture gives us Jesus. And you want to be like, okay, well, he probably should teach the Bible study, not me. <laughs> and here, what you're doing is you're taking what he said there, what Jesus says, because usually we kind of end the conversation there and not in a bad way, but just saying the whole Bible is about Jesus. Like, oh, thanks be to God. But what you are, you're, you're, you're kind of, Given, you're pushing us even further to be able to say, okay, 
The scriptures are about Jesus. Now let's look about how Jesus treated the scriptures. You know, he mm -hmm. saw this as something that is God's word, that he saw this as even the smallest amount proves his deity, proves why he's doing what he is, and proves that he's the Messiah. And here saying that it is enough, all of scripture, to point us to Christ. And once you understand that the cross is the central point of it all, then everything falls into place and you understand everything, um, as you said, not concealed, but completely revealed. Hmm. And, that, and that's a great help for, for you, our listeners, here on uh, Thy Strong Word. It's a good reminder for us that uh, it, it, the scriptures, when you're able to see it through the lens of Jesus, you're able to see it with complete clarity of your identity, whose you are, and how you are to live our lives with that understanding. And that's my encouragement to everybody is that when you read the Bible, make sure you see it as a gift. This is not something to, to bring you down, tear you apart. It does tear us apart with the law, but it also ultimately lifts us up, pointing us back to Jesus. So I said this the other day, enjoy the scriptures. That's what you're doing for us today, Pastor. Enjoy the scriptures. Other thoughts on those wonderful portions of scripture? What do you got? Yeah, I think that, that was yeah really, really well said. And I think the... Uh, um, yeah, that you're saying in, uh, I think you said Wisconsin, um, he, mm -hmm. he had his Sherlock Holmes glasses on, you know, he, he, <laughs> he understood how to look at scriptures. Uh, and I'm sure he's looking down, I'm sure he's looking down from heaven with, with Lazarus up there and watching us. <laughs> oh my goodness. And it's, it's funny too, cause he, he totally was like Santa. He had a huge, long, you know, white beard and he was a Norwegian. So he loved to talk about things Norwegian. <laughs> I have a Norwegian background. So we talked a lot about that, but he would just stroke that beard and he could barely see anymore. And he would just come up with those gems like, well, you know, pastor, while well, he stroked his beard. You know, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. The, the, every page is about Jesus. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my gosh, it's wonderful, <laughs> wonderful wisdom and makes you realize what it's all about. Yeah. So you speak about how, um, well, a lot of times we value in our in our culture in the church. We'll say, oh, my gosh, that guy or this gal knows her Bible. You know, it's, you can quote where this came from. They know their Bible. Um, they know all of this. But there's, uh, there, there's something that we have to remember, that, that if you know it verse by verse, have it memorized, you still might not actually understand the scriptures. What is key to all of this that we learn, especially through verse 8 of understanding the Bible? Yeah, and that's, that's probably the defining factor, especially here in, in uh, Galatians 3, with the difference between whoever the Judaizers are, the people that are teaching this other message to the church there, and then Paul. Um, and that kind of brings us back to, I'll reference back to the, that kind of that statement we laid at the beginning of this section. We only have the gospel through the scripture and the scripture through the gospel. So we just looked at how we have the gospel through the scripture. We can't cut our legs out from underneath us. Um, but we only have the scripture. We can only understand the words therein if we understand the gospel. And that's really the difference between Paul's message here, which we see, and then the message that the Judaizers are, are uh, preaching. And the key there is, you know, these Judaizers, they would have known their scripture. Um, you know, they might have had even books of the Bible memorized um, if they were good, good, zealous and devout Jews. Um, but Paul's point is they're missing it. They don't understand it quite yet because what they need to do is read the Old Testament through the messianic lens. Um, read the Old Testament through the crucifixion, the public portrayal of Jesus as crucified. And if that's before your eyes, I think you said it well with uh, Luther, right? Jesus-shaped goggles. Is that, mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. what he said? Yeah, yeah. Christ, 
Christ goggles is what I've heard. Christ goggles. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking mm-hmm. at the old Testament through that lens, then when you look at all of these stories, when you look at the ceremonial law, you look at it and all of a sudden it makes sense. It just all of a sudden clicks. So for Abraham, for instance, without the new Testament, right? Abraham is a story about someone who makes, you know, many mistakes in his life. Um, but God chose him and, um, blessed him with children. And, you know, you could go on and there'd be a lot of things you could talk about Abraham and his life or Moses and the Exodus or King David or the judges, you know, and the story of Samson and and Gideon and all of these things. Um, and there are many great truths there, but until you go back and you say, I'm going to now look at this through the lens of the gospel through the lens of the crucified and risen Messiah. And then you start to understand that from Genesis 3.15, where God says, I'm going to send a savior into the world. Um, From there, through the story of the flood, through uh, the story of Abraham and God choosing him and saying, I'm going to bless the world through you. You start to look at all of this and each verse all of a sudden just has a whole new light that shines through it. It's a, it's a Christ light. And you can see all of these stories in a completely different way. You see King David in a completely different way. Um, and this is what Paul is seeing, and this is what he's cementing. Um, he's looking at the scripture through this, this, this Christ, uh, Christ light. And what it's teaching is, or what it's showing him, and it should show the church there in Galatia, is that what defines you is putting your faith in that Messiah, what's been pro- which has been prophesied about from the very beginning to be the salvation of this fallen world. And if you put your faith in, into that, um, it will clearly show you the Old Testament scriptures in just a profound way. I think I'm going to, we have about two minutes here left. And I, if... Let me ask you to do this. Summarize this part of scripture in a word or two in a summary, and then I'll have a story and we'll end it with that. So go ahead. How would you summarize this? Hmm. Yeah. The Old Testament (laughs) is revealed. (laughs) The Old Testament revealed through Christ is what we put our faith in. So our faith rests secure, our loyalty rests secure in Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Messiah. Um, we don't put our faith, our trust in anything else. We don't, uh, we don't fear anything else above God. Uh, we don't respect anything else other than God. And by doing that, the way we do that is by trusting in Jesus. And that will open the door to the beautiful world of Scripture. And it takes a whole lifetime to explore, and it might take all of eternity to explore, actually. Let me tell this story. And we'll, we'll, we'll conclude our time. At my first congregation, once again, I had a situation where a gal had cancer. And I visited her, and I went into her house, and she was reading the Bible. And she was a very, she was a great theologian, still with us, and wonderful theologian. She was going through cancer treatment, and she was reading through her Bible, and she put it down. And she goes, Pastor, I'm reading Leviticus. And I was like, um, what? You're reading what? <laughs> Leviticus? And she goes, yes, I'm reading Leviticus. And she said at the end of it, they've had a discussion about it and she at the end of it, she said, I can't believe how much Jesus was willing to go through for us because that's what Leviticus is about. And I was like, Hmm. Oh my gosh. And it, and it fits so beautifully, all those ceremonial laws fulfilled in Christ. And as you said, and I think this is exactly what you've been saying the whole time in the old Testament, the new Testament is concealed in the new Testament. The old Testament is revealed. Don't go back to the old. See it through the lens of Jesus. Pastor Brian Stecker, 
of Grace Lutheran Church, Nashua, New Hampshire, proclaiming the truth of Galatians chapter 3. Pastor Stecker, thank you for being our guest. Hey, thank you, Brady. This was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Saints of our Lord, we are made righteous by faith in Christ, all as a gift from the Holy Spirit. This was a promise for Abraham, for Jews, Gentiles, and for you. Don't try to add to it. Receive the gift for baptism, the word, the Lord's Supper, and be filled with his Holy Spirit that we once again will see Christ. See Christ and him crucified for you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.